In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please be seated. Now as a kid, did you ever blurt out a secret or something embarrassing your parents didn't want somebody else to know? We all do it at some point, right? Maybe it's not even a secret. Maybe it's just something we wouldn't say in polite company, some little tidbit we heard mom or dad say about the way somebody dresses or their mannerisms, right? My mom thinks your makeup makes you look like a clown. I don't know if you ever did that as a kid. Hold on to that feeling for just a moment. Now, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. Now, chronologically, by the Bible, it's been three, maybe 400 years since the death of Joshua. And in the time, the judges were over Israel. And during the judges, there was a pattern that emerged. When Joshua died, the generation that grew up with him knew what to do. They followed the Lord. But over time, as generations passed, people started doing what the Bible says. Things, it says things like, they did what was right in their own eyes. And then for that generation, God's protection would be removed. And they'd start to be raided and sometimes conquered by their neighbors. And when that happened, suddenly they knew what to do. They cried out to God. And God, as he always is, was faithful to hear their prayers. And then God would send a judge. The judge would follow God's directions. He'd rally the troops and take care of the problem. And then that was great for that generation. Then a couple of generations from that, the cycle started all over again. We get some of our favorite Sunday school stories from this time period. Samson, right? We've all heard stories about Samson. Gideon, Barak, and Deborah. They all come from this time. Now we're at the end of that time. And it's interesting to note that the starting of the book of Samuel is the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. God wasn't speaking to his people because God's people generally weren't talking to God. And then it says this, The Lord called Samuel, Samuel. And he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called to me. But Eli said, I did not call, lie down again. So Samuel went and lied down. We're at night. Samuel's asleep in the tabernacle. Now for those who don't know, Samuel was a child of promise. Hannah, his mother, had not been able to conceive. And in the previous chapter, she goes to the tabernacle, and she cries out to God, saying, God, if you'll just give me a son, I promise I'll dedicate him to you. And the next year when they came back to the tabernacle, the boy was there and they called him Samuel. And after he was weaned, they left him with Eli, who was the high priest to be raised. It's an interesting story on its own. Samuel here is an adopted priest. And the Lord starts talking to him. But it says this, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Think about that. Samuel's grown up in the tabernacle, the place where they worship God. He's assisted daily with the worship of God. But he doesn't know the Lord. He doesn't, the Lord's not made himself known to him. Now we can spend a lot of time here and unpack that thought. That people need to meet the Lord for themselves and not just structures of the church. But to continue with the story, three times Samuel hears the voice and goes to Eli and asks him what he wants. Only for Eli to keep turning him away, saying, it's not me. But on that third time, Eli figures out what's going on and gives him instructions. And when the voice speaks again, 
calling out as it has, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Eli knew what was happening, and God was speaking to Samuel. And then the Lord said to Samuel, see, I'm about to do something in Israel that will both make, the ears of in, make both ears of anyone who hear it tingle. And God starts to lay out the change that's about to happen in his people. That a new day was dawning. That Samuel would end up being the priest and not his older brothers. God says they've disqualified themselves by their own actions, by not taking their priestly duties seriously, by using it as a way to profit for themselves and make themselves happy. God tells Samuel all these things. But Samuel doesn't want to share his epiphany that God was real and that his older brothers wouldn't take their father's place as high priest. He goes back to sleep and tries to just pretend it never happened. But the next day, Eli says, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. And Eli wants to hear everything. And Samuel told him everything, just like kids do sometimes, right? We as adults sometimes have a tendency to not want to say the unpleasant things. We want to skip over that stuff and only talk about the good and be polite. And Eli here, when he hears what God's going to do, his response is, it's the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. I want to admit, Eli is one of those figures in Scripture who confound me. Hezekiah is another one for the same reason. Eli here knows what to do. He seems to be righteous. He himself doesn't get called out for anything. And we give him the opportunity to head to the altar to ask for God's mercy and his forgiveness. To try to make a change. To work on the situation he just shrugs and he's fatalistic about it. He doesn't ask God to extend his mercy. And the result is, Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. In this encounter with God, Samuel grew up to be who God wanted him to be, someone who listened when the Lord spoke and gained the reputation of being trustworthy. Lord, you've searched me out and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Now Psalm 139 is David being in awe of how well God knows him, how well God knows us, how well God knows everything. God knows, David says, where I am and what I'm going through. You're around me. I feel your presence no matter what I'm going through. I can't, Lord, hide anything from your eyes. David goes on to say, I'll thank you because I'm marvelously made. Your works are wonderful, and I know it well. God made us. He knows what we're made of, and he knows the brokenness of the world and how it's disrupted everything, how it's disrupted our health, our habits, our thinking. Then David goes on to say, How deep I find your thoughts, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would be more than the numbers of the sand. To count them all, my lifespan would need to be like yours. David understands he cannot fully understand God or his ways. But David has humility and knows that he needs God. In our gospel we read, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now in the beginning of John's gospel, we start with that beautiful bit about the word, right? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then after that, we don't get the traditional manger scene that we get in Matthew and Luke. Instead, we get to Jesus being baptized by John. 
And then once that's over, John turns to Andrew the next day and says, all right, see that guy there? That's the guy I was talking about. Follow him. And Andrew goes and invites Jesus back to his house and introduces Peter to Jesus. And now Jesus is calling their neighbor, Philip. Now realize when John's telling of the story, it's been a grand total of three days since Jesus' baptism that this happens. And when he calls out to Philip, come and follow me, Philip does so with great joy. It says this, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him, who Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now Philip is excited and tells his friend that he's found the Messiah. Nathanael, though, is skeptical. When I was reading this story again this week, I was remembered of a commercial that used to air on television all the time. Anybody remember the old El Paso commercials? A bunch of cowboys sitting around the fire at the end of the day. And when we lived in Albuquerque, my kids loved to, to, to say the tagline there, right? Because they'd get there and they'd be complaining about the salsa, the salsa's not hot, what's the cook do, what's cookie doing to us this time? And they'd grab the jar, and what would they find out? The salsa's made where? New York City, right? And what would the rest of the cowboys respond with? New York City, right? And then they, then they would talk about doing violence to the cook. But that's the kind of heat that Nathaniel's pitching here when he says, has anything good ever come out of Nazareth? Philip, you're telling me you found the Messiah, but Philip, has anything good ever come from Nazareth? Philip has had a revelation. He's had his epiphany. He's met Jesus. But like us, he doesn't always have the words. Maybe he feels like he can't explain it any better than that. And Philip's response to Nathaniel is this, come and see. And when Nathaniel meets Jesus, when Jesus comes to him, he greets Nathaniel as someone with no guile. He says, listen, I know you're not sly. I know you always tell the truth and don't mince words. And when Nathaniel asks him, well, have we met before? How did you get to know me? Jesus talks about having seen him under the fig tree before Philip called him. Oh, my Lord, you search and you know me. We're back to that again. And Nathaniel asks, Jesus, what do I do? What do we do here? And Jesus is telling him, I know what you said. I know who you are. And knowing all of that, I want you to follow me. And Jesus asks him when he gets excited, do you believe it because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than these. Truly, I tell you, you'll see the heavens open and the angels of God descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. Nathaniel, I know you. And don't believe simply because of what, of what I've said. Nathaniel, that epiphany is minor compared to what you're going to see. Paul writes, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Paul here is talking to the church in Corinth. A church we learn early in the book is divided. They have different groups who one commentator says are arguing over who's the best pastor before the current one. They're arguing over sexual morality, whether it's better to be married or single. Whether what makes a happy marriage? What constitute grounds for divorce? What should we eat or not eat? What's the correct understanding of resurrection in the afterlife? To the point that they bring lawsuits against one another. And their complaints against each other go on and on and on. Paul here seems to be quoting maybe from one of his own sermons. Do you know, not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Paul is saying, Corinthians, that freedom in Christ I talked to you about. 
That freedom from the law that I said you had, it's not an excuse for you to go back and do what's ever right in your own eyes. Now we could go into the individual actions that Paul calls out in the various verses in 1 Corinthians. We could categorize the sins and things they're doing. But the problem is the church is divided. Everyone's defending themselves and no one's loving their neighbors. Paul goes on to say, Or did you not know that your temple is the your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you're not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. If there's anything that we're doing as an individual, it should be trying to follow the Lord the best ways we know how. Mark Twain once said, It ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. The problem when we separate ourselves into group is that we divide the church. When we do what's right in our own eyes, we're not listening for what God is saying to us, us as individuals, but also us as a community. We're defending ourselves. Like EY, we're content to let the world burn because we feel like we're doing fine. But God knows us. David says our Creator knows everything about us. Samuel, when he's called, ushers in a time when the word of the Lord is known and God is heard from. Because when God speaks to him, he humbly replies, Speak, for your servant is listening. Nathaniel is stunned by the revelation of who Jesus is, of what he knows about us, of what he's called him to do. And God calls of us that we continue to love our neighbors and to tell them when we don't know what to say. Come and see. Amen.